0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Illicit drugs can be destructive when taken and can have negative impacts on the individual, on their families, and on the community. But why do people take drugs in the first place? Uh, how do they take them? Can drug use ever be beneficial? Well, for this and more, I'm joined by Professor in Addictions at Trinity College in Dublin, Johanna Ivers. Uh, good morning, Johanna.
1: Good morning, Pat.
0: Now, in case people think this is all ivory tower academic uh, stuff, uh, you have practised in the field.
1: I've practised in the field. So I had uh, a a training, went out, worked in clinics, uh, predominantly in the HSE, both with adolescent and adult populations. Yeah.
0: yeah. Now, you decided to return to academia. Why?
1: Well, I suppose initially I had trained with the view that if we got people access to treatment, we'd be sorted. So in other words, if we got them into detoxification and they were able to rid themselves of drugs, then that was a job well done. Actually, I found out very quickly, but for a long period of time, that it was far more complex than that. And I suppose what instigated me to return to uh, academia was that there were a cluster of deaths and I I knew for me I was no longer being effective in that space and perhaps if I understood things not just from the individual level but from that population level that I would be of more use.
0: Let's take a more global look then at uh, drug taking Why do people take drugs? What are the reasons? And there are many I suppose.
1: There are many reasons but I think they come down to two things which is people either want to stop feeling something or start feeling something that can be something as small as taking the edge off a really uh, difficult day, or it can be masking the pain of a childhood adversity. So but ultimately it's about either stopping feeling something or starting feeling
0: something. Now, we uh, tend to pay attention to the people that you've been talking about, the um, drug misusers that come to the attention of the HSE or doctors or whatever. But you would maintain there are many more drug takers than we ever know about.
1: Yeah, and I guess the crux that comes to just what you talked about, we're often talking about a more visible uh, population. And I think, um, again, if you look at Canada, and I'm not advocating for Canada as a country, but what they've done very clearly is put drug use on a spectrum. And what we see is that, you know, we start to see people using drugs For beneficial reasons, for non-problematic reasons, for problematic reasons, and then all the way up to dependence and addiction. So it Mm. is a bit of a spectrum.
0: So, for example, people who use uh, drugs recreationally at the weekend, um, they're never studied.
1: Well they tend to not come to our attention and unless you do a population based study you won't tap into them and it tends to be not the groups that you hear other people advocating for Um, but I think again even at clinical level if you're looking to change someone's behaviour or change things for people who use drugs you really need to get behind the benefits of drug use so what is that person getting from that drug and how can we replicate that so that they can do better?
0: I mean, we in normal therapeutics, a doctor will prescribe a drug for somebody who has a diagnosed condition. And that's drug taking, but it happens to be done by prescription and it's done perhaps to alleviate pain uh, and other symptoms. Isn't that so?
1: Well, yeah, that's correct. I suppose that's the broadest sense of, of any kind of medicine. But are you talking about in terms of that I'm saying that, that, you know,
0: that we accept that drugs have beneficial effects in the medical environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're suggesting that perhaps we should look at people who are taking drugs recreationally or for the other reasons you mentioned, to see whether it's all negative.
1: To see whether it's all negative. And I think, you know, as the conversation goes, we, when we're talking about drug use, we need to understand it in that broadest term.
0: Now, there are people who are dependent on drugs and they come to our attention, usually mm-hmm. the, the addicts. Then there are people who are regular drug users who are not dependent in the conventional sense, although they may be impacting on their own um, ability to, to live well. Because, you know, it costs money.
1: Yeah. So that, as I say, in terms of that spectrum, we'd be looking at that in terms of problematic use. But it's personal. uh, It's driven by the person who uses drugs and how they determine their drug use.
0: Do we tend to demonise the form of drug taking more than uh, uh, another? For example, a pill is much uh, less demonised than an injection, for instance.
1: Absolutely. How people uh, use drugs um, is, is something that we tend to come at either from a stigmatised or non-stigmatised uh, way and whether or not a person is from a particular class, we tend to stigmatise them or not stigmatise them. So how in the context that they take them and uh, is, is very important to the view that people have of drug users.
0: The question of addictions, which is what uh, your uh, academic research is in, Mm -hmm. um, is there the possibility that somebody, and you often see this uh, portrayed in movies, things like that, they take one drug once and they're ruined. Is that in any way reflected in reality?
1: No, is the short answer. So, um, Pete, we have this notion that there are particular substances out there. And if we think about popular culture, you might think of met- methamphetamine or, or crack cocaine, that people use drugs once and they're hooked. But it will ultimately go back to what I talked about, Pat. Is, it's the why. Why are people using drugs? Um, and and that, that's the reason that will continue the drug use rather than the person or the drug itself.
0: Now, some people can go to the bookies and put a bet on the Grand National once a year and they never become addicted to gambling. Other people, uh, they find the bookies shop a very exciting place. They can do it online now. Is it that the same with drug taking that some people just find the, the high utterly addictive really from the beginning and others can be transient, can be occasional drug users and never become hooked?
1: absolutely i mean it's a, it is a, a very good analogy that people can as you say transition in and out without any effect or perceived consequence
0: what is your view then on the availability of drugs i mean we're talking about illicit drugs not those prescribed by doctors we happily touch wood don't have the opioid prescription drugs problem they have in the united states but the illicit drug business i mean what's your view on it should it be controlled uh, should it be allowed to, to remain you know out of sight in the in society at large
1: well, I, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm part of the uh, advisory group for the Drugs Assembly. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk about the availability of drugs in a more broader sense rather than a personal opinion. Um, but I think what we need to acknowledge is that drugs have never been more available, both in the type of drug, but also in the supply. Um, so what we are doing at the moment is, is, isn't necessarily working in the way that it should.
0: So uh, we await the deliberations of the Citizens Assembly to to figure out uh, a way forward. What about people who are addicted and the the road to recovery? I mean, you, you your own personal experience indicated that it's not by any means a guaranteed success.
1: It's not a guaranteed success, but what I really want to get clear is that lots of people get recovery um, and that recovery is absolutely possible and it's visible. And again, to bring it full circle, it goes back to the why. So w- what we know about people who succeed, who who transition from addiction to recovery, is that they have a certain amount of capital in their arsenal. And that can be positive relationships, connection with community, access to job and education, a safe and uh, secure house to live in and actually that they're the kind of investments and resources that we really need to start to look at when we're wanting to i suppose bulk that population up and really rectify what's happened with addiction
0: yeah um you were awash with drugs i mean is it inevitable that our population who have drug problems is going to increase
1: um Well, unless we start to do things differently, because you know yourself, what is the definition of stupidity, and it's repeating <laughs> the same thing all over again, so uh, what we're what I've said is what we 're doing isn't working at the moment in the best way it could. <laughs>
0: Johanna Ivers, Professor in Addictions at Trinity College in Dublin, thank you very much for joining us in studio today. Now, people are less likely to conceal their negative attitudes to disability policies on surveys that assure them of their anonymity. That's according to research conducted by the ESRI. A second experiment found that public support was even lower when questions included specifically how disability policies would be funded or potential trade-offs. I'm joined now by Associate Research Professor at the ESRI and TCD Adjunct Professor of Sociology, Dr. Francis McGinnity. Good morning, Francis.
2: Good morning, Pat.
0: Now, explain uh, the methodology of this study, what you were trying to ascertain.
2: Yes, yeah, so this was a, this study, as you said funded it was funded by the National Disability Authority to investigate attitudes to disability in Ireland using an experiment to check whether people are concealing some sensitive opinions when they're when they're asked directly. so we had a sample of two thousand people nationally representative, and the sample was randomly split. So one group got asked direct questions about their support for policies that affect disabled people. And then the second group weren't asked about their support for for individual policies, but asked about their support from a list. So we could then estimate which of the the disability policies people supported and, and compare this sort of fully anonymous support from the list with responses to direct questions and, and 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 this is where the gap emerges so a key finding for example is that you know 77% of people say they support increased welfare payments for disability when they're asked a uh, directly, but then when they're, when they're given complete anonymity, you know, a sort of secret ballot, 66% then support. So one in seven conceal their, their kind of lack of support.
0: Because uh, they they can be honest when they're anonymous, which is uh, an interesting aspect of this survey. Um, What sort of general support was there for the provision of disability services? You know, things like uh, car parking spaces for those who uh, might have a disability or be wheelchair bound.
2: (laughs) Yes overall um you know the good news is that overall public support uh, for disability and disability policies is high um no matter how the questions asked, but I suppose the main lesson for us was that standard surveys may overstate that level of support and um you know as you mentioned in a, in a second experiment we we test whether support differs. When questions say the policies might be f- how they might be funded, so you know, say ninety-eight percent of people are in favour of of children with disabilities getting the support they needed, but then when 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 funding was mentioned, you know that 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 this would be funded uh, through a budget allocation, that dropped to eighty-five, and it fell to sixty-six percent. When the question was, um, you know, a tax increase should be um, used to put more money towards making Mm. sure children with disabilities get the sports they need.
0: Now, did you see in terms of, you know, ABCD1, F1, whatever, uh, differences in the attitudes of of people from those uh, various demographics in terms of their anonymous responses and in terms of their uh, identifiable responses?
2: Yeah, so one one finding was that um people with higher education were, were actually more likely to conceal lack of support uh, than 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 people who didn't have third level education, you know, so so seventy six percent of the higher educated supported higher welfare payments, but only fifty nine when reporting anonymously so this suggests that um you know the highly educated may be more sensitive to social desirability pressures and and wanting to to look good in in the in the Mm. presence of others and hide their true beliefs now this is partly related to the fact that um People who have higher education don't tend to know people with a disability and a really strong finding, uh, not surprising I'm sure to listeners in some way, but um, a really strong finding was that people who are familiar with a disability, either they have a disability themselves or a close family member, a partner, a child, a parent, are more supportive of all these policies than people who report knowing nobody. And this is regardless of how the question is asked. You know, this uh, has been found in the international literature too that frequent positive social contact with a disabled person sort of facilitates understanding and support, particularly a close relationship. So we take from that then that, You know, increasing inclusion of disabled people in communities and workplaces and informing uh, the general public about um, the challenges uh, people may face and indeed the costs of disability uh, will help um, facilitate supportive attitudes and including people in uh, disabled people in society.
0: Okay. Now, uh, the final question is about people parking in uh, car parking spaces, which are dedicated to those with disabilities. And there is a difference. It's it's a small enough difference. But uh, if it's anonymous, more people admit to parking in the wrong place.
2: Yes that's right we it, you know when asked directly one in 20 people admit to parking in a disability space without a permit but that drops to to one in in 20 um Five, uh, when when they're given, you know that sort of full anonymity uh, with the with the list experiment. You know the difference is small, and I suppose given, you know we have a big sample, two thousand. We can't be we can't be sure, but they're you know it's suggestive that that people may be uh, uh, deliberately concealing this uh, when, when when they're responding. But you know, and and uh, I, I suppose there it's the idea. That maybe people don't, uh, people parking in a disability spot without a permit don't don't fully appreciate uh, the challenges that that might cost uh, cause sorry for someone uh, for someone with a disability and, and and how difficult it might be for them if if they need the spot. Um,
0: Dr. Francis McGinnity, associate research professor at the SRI, adjunct professor of sociology at Trinity College in Dublin. Uh, thank you very much for joining us.